Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, everyone. Definitely go check out Build Your Network. I was just on the podcast with Eric and Travis Chapel. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chapel. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. Kelly, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Thank you so much, Eric, for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm really excited to get to chat with you. And before we get into the incredible career that you've had and kind of your story now, I want to go back to the very beginning. We like to go back to childhood. So tell me a little bit about middle school, Kelly. What was she like? What was your personality at that point? And uh, what did you think was on the horizon? I've never been asked that. I really like that question. So thanks for asking me. Oh my gosh. Middle school, Kelly uh, was shy. Uh, definitely not outgoing as, as much as I am now. Middle school was really hard for me, actually, to be honest with you. Uh, I was, that's when I started to really develop. Uh, and I was diagnosed at a very early age as kindergarten, first grade with a learning disability. But middle school, that's when you start to realize, you know, you kind of are set aside a little bit different, you know, of the, the classes. And when I say that, that's what I mean different is just being separated in smaller classes. Yeah. Um, so it was really hard for me, you know, because I started to realize, you know, I wasn't like everybody else. I wasn't in the, you know, general ed classes. Uh, 
but I really, you know, saw on the horizon that I had skating and skating, you know, really became really my way out. You know, I guess you yeah. can sort of say is because I may have not have been the best, the smartest, fastest reader, you know, in school, but I knew when I got outside of school and into the roller rink, you yeah. know, I kind of felt quote unquote normal, I guess you can say, or, you know, just kind of like everybody else. So I really used that to my advantage something that I was so embarrassed at that time, you know, middle school, high school, I'm something that is, I'm so proud of it now. Um, And it's so funny just because just last week, I actually talked um, on the phone for an hour to my seventh and eighth grade special ed teacher. So so it's me. I I say, you know, how many people in their thirties can, you know, still talk to their teachers from middle school. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of curious. I mean, obviously the passion for skating, I mean, it had different forms in the beginning, but when was the first time that you really thought, okay, this is something that, you know, could seriously be a a path for me. And, you know, I know that from an early age, you were talking about the Olympics, but how early are we talking? Was that something that was there from the get-go or is it something that someone planted a seed about, you know, what kind of led to that thought brewing in your mind? Absolutely. And I really think it's kind of both, to be honest with you, Um, you know, taking both of the worlds that were mixed together is knowing as early on that I wanted to go to the Olympics. You know, I talked so early as in, you know, six years old, I knew I wanted to go on that stage. And then, you know, with my learning disability, that plant, you know, was kind of set inside of me because, you know, I had that this ability to be able to use to be able to, you know, further, you know, myself and, you know, develop, you know, who I am was going to be. That's really cool. And was there uh, around you? I mean, obviously, you know, like you said, you struggled in the classroom, you know, there was there was that level to it. But when people saw you kind of taking on skating, when people saw you kind of articulate those dreams, did you feel the majority of people rallied around you and were supportive of that? Or did you experience a lot of pushback? Like, no, you need to focus in on, you know, focusing on the school side. Why are you spending our time doing this? What was kind of the reaction of the people around you? You know, it was um, a lot around skating. And I think that's something that I'm so grateful for in my high school. um, Actually in 2019, I was just um, inducted into the hall of fame there. And it's so, it was so cool to go back after so many years of graduation and, you know, really thank them because, you know, they saw that as well, the potential that I had, you know, within skating, because not only, you know, was I set aside with a learning disability in a smaller class, but I was also missing a lot of school to be able to travel Mm. and to skate, you know, so they really, you know, clung on to that as well. So I think that's really neat to have that support. And then, you know, that support just within skating friends, you know, I had a lot that, you know, were smart in school and, you know, versus in skating who were just as fast, Uh, you know, so to be able to have that, you know, community of skaters that you grew up with, I think that was something that was kind of like my world um, to be able to know that we were all in it together. Yeah. When you think back on that community, who was the biggest influence? Like when you say this person kind of gave me my biggest boost in those earliest, because I, I have to imagine I'm not an Olympic skater. So I, I'm totally just imagining quite a bit here, but I have to imagine that the most difficult part is getting to that point. You know what I mean? Like there's this big, it's like anything, there's this huge learning curve of just figuring out how to skate, figuring out how to do this in the first place. And then all the mental things of getting to your first not even to the Olympics, but to your first competition. Um, so who were the first people to really 
inspire you and guide you where you can say like, without them, I would not be where I am today? My mom really helped me a lot, um, you know, really push and guide me because I think she really saw, you know, skating in me. And I'm hmm. so thankful for that, that, you know, she she did that and, you know, got me to, you know, to never give up on skating. And then transferring over to my inline coach, who I always say made me the athlete who I am and was today, because yeah. not only did he teach me how to be an athlete on and off the track, but he also taught me a lot off the track so much that I remember and used to my day-to-day life. So that's something, you know, I've always carried with me. Yeah. I was reading an article where they actually interviewed your inline coach, Rob Dunn, and, yes. um, and he was saying, you know, you weren't necessarily a, a supernatural athlete, but you were really strong. You were coachable. And I'm kind of, I'm always fascinated by that when I hear stories like this, where someone, you know, there's some people where you talk about, oh, they're born with this crazy gift and they're, you know, just, it just makes sense. And then there's these other stories, which seems almost more frequent where, you know, they were strong, but they were coachable and they were able to get to a really successful point. What do you think it was in you? that kind of separate you from others? Because you're not going in saying like, oh, I come from this long line of skaters and I'm, you know, I'm this natural, like genetic beast, you know, but it's something where you were able to, you know, overcome a lot of the obstacles in front of you and and go to the next level. What do you think it was inside of you that, that drove you to that point? I really honestly, deep down, think it was just the drive inside of me and using that fire Hmm. within who I was and really using, knowing that I wasn't going to be as smart as I thought maybe I'd hopes to be in the classroom. Hmm. Um, My brother and I are eight years apart and he's very smart. And I would always cry and say, why can't I just be as smart as him? You know, but I really gravitated to what I was good at. And throughout the years. And as I got older, especially in high school, um, you know, skating, I really used that drive to, to keep motivating me. And I think I'm huge in my faith. And I think I was just Mm. blessed to, to have that encouragement always inside of me to know that, you know, I'm not going to be first and I'm not last, you know, Mm. I'm very coachable, you know, I want to learn. And that's just something that's always, you know, I really want to say that lived inside of me and something that I've driven off of and really fed myself is because I've always had to prove, you know, not only to myself, but to everybody, you know, I'm not the best skater and I'm not the worst skater, but I'm going to be there no matter what. And I'm going to work hard and I'm going to go until I throw up. And, you know, that's, again, goes right back to Rob Dunn Mm. showing me and pushing me to those limits. Um, You know, so that's something that I I think is just kind of was a, a God's gift, you know, given to me that, yeah, I wasn't a natural talent, but the natural inside of me was the fire that um, always and is keep burning. Yeah. Yeah. No, I resonate with your story in this element because my, my brother and I are five years apart mm-hmm. and he is, you know, I, I, I'll backtrack on this, but I mean, he's sm- much smarter than me when it comes to academics. I mean, he was the, he was the, per- I remember him crying when he got like an A minus, you know, like he was the smartest kid ever. You know, I was like, yes, I got a D I passed, you know, this is great. And, you know, but he was always, there was always this feeling of, of, you know, I can never live up to that. Like, I'm never going to be able to be a computer programmer and top 3% and calculus or whatever he scored in. But, you know, then you start to realize just like what you said, what is the thing that I can do, you know? And for you, it was skating. For me, it was, you know, 
at the time it was just film, you know, videography. Like it was like, I can pick up a camera, I can do stuff, I can be creative. When I was a little kid, it was drawing, you know, there's all these things that I can double down in. And I think that's a really cool thing is to be able to identify where you are. You know, I, I think we're all smart. I think it's just, where are we smart or where are we gifted and, and can pursue that, that, that course. I, I want to talk a little bit about the mental side of it, because that's something that comes up in your story time and time again. There's a lot of points where you face essentially what would be career ending moments for a lot of people and, and kind of came back. Tell me, first of all, just your first time ever being in a competitive zone. Cause, cause you know, competing in a, in a just casual setting or just performing in a casual setting is one thing. Tell me about your first experience in competition and kind of the mental hurdles that that probably took to get into. Yeah. My, I think my first competition was just fearless. And I think as a skater, that's all I ever was, you know, was fearless. And, you know, if I fell, I got right back up. And when I started at six years old, when I was too fast for the music and I did skating in the jump and I would fall and get right back up. So I think, you know, the mental, it, again, you know, it just started at a very early age. And so when I was knocked down all those life career ending moments that I easily absolutely could have walked away. I believe it was just, it was something I was just used to is that if you get knocked down, you get back up again. So for me, you know, mental is huge because throughout my whole life, I've been knocked down and been able to get back up every single time. And I think that's what's so important and why I'm so passionate about telling my story of being the comeback kid is because no matter what age we are or who we are, you know, we're going to get knocked down. You know, life is going to throw, you know, rocks at us. I mean, take this last year and a half as we just went through as a nation, you know, to be able to come Mm. back and to show who we are and to be stronger. So, you know, my first competition, I just remember, you know, just skating as fast as I could and turning left. And, you know, that's carried on with me throughout, you know, all of my training moments and all of my biggest competitions. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned faith. Um, and, and it's something we hear a lot and, and it's something that comes up a lot, but we don't often dive into it and what that means. And obviously it's played a big part in your mindset. And, and can you kind of explain what role faith has played within your mindset, how that affected how you view things and your, your kind of outlook on things? Absolutely. Um, I don't get to ask that question a lot. So thank you for asking it. Yeah, it's something the last probably five to seven years of my career, I really dove into it. I remember a teammate actually of mine, he was a gold medalist and he had said, Hey, Kelly, you know, I think you should check out this church. And, Mm. you know, I'd always, you know, believed in, you know, God and my faith, but I could never go because we always had practice on a Sunday or, you know, whatever, (laughs) you know, the Canace was. But in ice skating, you your practice and your schedule is very the same. You train Monday through Friday and you're off every Sunday. So I was able to check out this church and I started going and going. And then there was just like this pivotal moment where I would go and I had said to myself, I don't want to just go to church. I really want to dive in and I want this to be my community. Um, you know, and once I did that, I started reaching out to Bible studies and that Bible study group became my girlfriends and that became my life outside of the ice rink. I started to see life more outside of just what I've only been used to for 25 years of my life. I've never really got to have quote unquote normal friends because they've always been into that in, in skating capacity, you know, in one way or another. So for me, it really started to play such a big part of it because I started to see 
just what, you know, true friendship was and what, you know, that faith to me was starting to become and starting to really grasp onto that concept that, you know, everything happens for a reason. I'd always believed that um, throughout my career, but now I was starting to really see that and really just, you know, hold tighter to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to imagine it's probably, especially as you start competing at higher and higher levels, like it's probably refreshing to be able to go home to a group of people that are outside of that world, you know, who you can talk to and just be quote unquote normal with, you know, and, and get to hang out with. And that's a really cool, you know, that's a really cool element. I grew up in, in a church environment. And that's one thing that I always appreciated is the communal aspect of that and being able to, you know, get around people, getting able, being able to talk. And you've kind of got these designated times to stop and like, slow down and hang out with people, you know, and that's a really, it's a really special thing and a really, a really neat thing. I'm curious, you know, we talked about persevering to obviously comebacks, things like that. You know, it, one thing that we talk about a lot on the show is, you know, some people have the, you know, the sunk cost fallacy, you know, I've poured so much into something, so I can't quit. Even when all signs seem to be pointing to, you probably should, you know? So can you explain a kind of lean a little bit more practical here? When do you think someone should, you know, fall down and get back up and keep pushing forward? Or when should they take that failure as a sign of, okay, maybe I need to be pivoting into a different direction or or doing something else? Yeah, for sure. And I really believe it comes from within who you are and your mind and your body just tells you. And for me and myself, the last two and a half years of my career, I completely fell out of love with skating. And Mm. I, if I ever, I say have a regret in life, it would have been continued on. And Mm. it was because I believe I was scared to walk away Um, mentally and physically. I was drained. Um, At that point, I'd been skating up to almost that 25 year mark. And I just, you know, I knew within myself because at that time I was starting to get to be Kelly. I was starting to see, you know, that friendships that I wanted to have, that community of everybody that was around me. So for me, you know, I was going to retire rather I made it in 2018 or if I didn't make it. So I was ready to just be done because I knew mentally and physically I had already, you know, reached my point. So, you know, for anybody who's going through it, I think your mind and your body just kind of tells you, and, you know, if you get knocked down, you know, if you love it bad enough, get back up and keep doing it. That's the most important thing. Um, for myself, I had just fought and fought and fought and I just, I couldn't keep fighting anymore. I was just physically, or I was just more mentally drained to keep fighting the fight because I'd always had to come back. I've always had to prove myself, which don't get me wrong. I absolutely love that. And I feed off of that and that that's who I am, you know, but there comes a, a certain time where you can't fight that fight any longer. You know, my coach and I didn't get along my, you know, I never not gotten along with the teammate, you know, so there was a lot of the background story that, you know, wasn't told. And that's why I was just, mentally just drained because and not every coach and athlete are going to get along. And I had never not gotten along with a coach before. So mm. to be able to, you know, having to go through that process every single day out of practice, it's just mentally draining. But, you know, I knew within myself, you know, when I was ready to retire. So I think when an athlete, you know, gets to that point, you're, you just, you know, within who you are and your, your mind just kind of tells you, you know, Hey, I'm just, 
it's it's ready to retire. <laughs> yeah, you 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 said something interesting. You said you you felt like you could finally see like you were becoming Kelly, and I thought that was an interesting way of putting it. And and I guess it comes back to the larger question that I I'm always curious is, what do you see when you look back over all these years? You look forward, you know, to many years to come. What do you see as the quote unquote end game? You know, what do you see as the accomplishment? Because I think for many athletes, you hear stories of they get to the top, which you got to the top. I mean, you were in the Olympic. I mean, there's, there's very few things you can do that match that achievement. That's a a lifetime, you know, achievement, but you know, for, for many athletes, you know, it gets into their thirties and they've hit that mountaintop. And then it seems like what's what now what's next. And for you, there's a sense of optimism of like, okay, I'm just getting started. I'm becoming Kelly. Like there's this future ahead of me. So what for you is the, the end game, the, the goal and kind of the overall dream? Like when you look at your life and you're like, this is what it is, what do you see there? Oh, that's probably one of my favorite questions mm-hmm. um, is that there is never an end goal. And I think with athletes, you know, we're always reaching for the next big thing. And for myself, you know, being an Olympian, I always say it's just a title. It's not an entitlement. I'm absolutely no better than anybody else. And, and I want You're to better be- than me. I guarantee you. <laughs> no, no. If you put your mind to it, I promise you, anybody can do anything that they want to. Um, but that's, what's so important to me is that I want to be bigger than the Olympics because mm. that's who I am. You know, I'm just Kelly that made one dream come true. And the next big thing that I want to be is to be the best speaker that I can be and help mm. change thousands and millions of, of lives, you know, and grow worldwide. And, you know, to, I'd once that, to just writing a book to maybe thinking of writing a series of books and, you know, having my own foundation someday. So, you know, for us, I think, yeah, we hit that spot and some athletes, you know, it is that now what, and I'm, I'm in that stage because I know what I want. I just don't know how to get to Mm. where I want to get to, you know? So I think that's so important to, So just, you know, we've always had that dream and we're not going to stop until we get there. So now we just have to carry it on to the next big thing. You know, for me, it's speaking. I'm going to, you know, we go until we get there and then we get there and it's like, okay, now what? Now what's the next big thing? So I don't think you're ever ending. Um, You know, you're always, you know, shooting for bigger and better things to get just to keep, you know, you're, you're motivating and to keep going. Right. Is it, is it enjoying the work? Is it the, is it kind of the journey to each of those kind of markers that you kind of feel like you appreciate? Yeah. And, and that's, what's so cool about it is because it has a story for you Mm. each, you know, each part of that journey. And when you get to that, you know, you look back and you're like, oh, this is why this happened. Or, you know, this is why this curve took me on this road that I never thought it would take me on, you know? So, and that's why I always like being down you know, in the, in the mud is because once you get out and you get to where you want to get to, you're just that more thankful for pushing through to get to the top of where you want to get to, because if the road was busy and the path was, you know, painted for you, you would, you wouldn't work for what you want. And that's, what's so important to, to be able to get knocked down, to be able to keep coming up is because it's not ever just going to be handed to you on a silver platter. You have to work for what you want. And at the end of the day, you're so much more thankful and grateful for that. Absolutely. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with 
Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. I got to pivot this into kind of the the more practical side. And, and I definitely want to talk about, obviously, uh, what you're working on now. But I, I am interested. We, we interviewed Matt Barnes a, a few months ago, and he was talking about Kobe Bryant and, you know, the the fact that the Mamba mentality was on the court and it was also in his business, you know, and he talked a lot about his, he talked about his plans for business, the way he was working and he was taking, and Matt talked about this for himself too, is, is, you know, all of the principles that they were following in the athletic world, they were now applying in business. They were getting up early, but they were writing business plans and they were, you know, hustling, but it wasn't necessarily on the court. They're, you know, hustling, trying to, do investments and work on these phone calls and do all this sort of thing. Are there any principles that you learned or character traits that you pulled from the athletic world that now you're seeing apply into this business world as you try to pursue speaking and developing your own brand that you think would be helpful to the, to the audience listening? Mm -hmm, For sure. And uh, that is so completely true. Everything that I've learned through my, uh, my athletic career, I have completely trans you know, transformed it to my day-to-day life. And it really goes back to that self-motivation and that self-talk, you know, at practice, you know, you, yeah, we have a coach there pushing us and, you know, telling us what to do, but you're the one that's on the ice and you're the one that's pushing yourself. And I look at that just now in my day-to-day when I'm on my computer, I'm like, okay, Kelly, you know, one more email, keep pushing yourself, you know, so it's that self, you know, talk that we've always used and, you know, keep using into our day-to-day lives. And, you know, what I've learned, my biggest, you know, takeaway from my skating career is like those days that we don't want to go to practice and those days we don't want to get out of bed. Those are our, our best days because it's the days that we don't want to do it, you know, that turn around. And when you get there, you're like, 
okay, I'm here, but I'm going to make the best of it, you know? And that's the same with, you know, doing different, you know, things where you have to learn to grow from the bottom up. And that's where I've really learned with my speaking, you know, I'm not the best speaker yet, but I was never the best skater right off the bat either. So, you know, we learn to, to practice and it's, it really just carries over to, you know, our day-to-day life. Well, your mentality just slipped into the one word you put in that answer, which is I'm not the best speaker yet. You know, like there is, when you're looking forward, you're seeing the possibility of becoming that. And you're, you're working in a sense of, it's almost reverse engineering it. When I can see something and say, I'm not yet this, what do I do to get there? It changes the way that you perform every single day. And, uh, you know, this show is called Build Your Network. We, we interview I mean, tons of people and ask them all this exact question. Do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important uh, and why? I absolutely totally believe that. Um, I believe it's not what you know, it's who you know. And the reason why I say that is because connections, you know, I think connections are huge and it all comes down to personality as well. You know, if the person really gravitates you, you know, they're going to want to help you. And it's just like, you know, setting out to who you want to to be like. And, you know, Clubhouse for me was huge, like Breakfast of Champions and learning, you know, meeting all those new entrepreneurs. And I'm like, oh, hey, I want to be like them. You know, so you stick with that group because they're already there. And the reason why I believe that it's so true is because, you know, they've already are doing what you want to do. So if you don't know how to get there yet, you know, you're going to talk to them to be able to show you the ropes to do how to get there. And, you know, for me, it's, I think why it's so important is because with my learning disability, I don't know a lot, you know, so I have to use my voice and who I know to be able to get me to where I want to get to. So, you know, I really have just always have clung on to that. Have you been in the pursuit of the speaking and branding and getting out and sharing your story, have you pursued any coaches or mentorships the same way that you did when you were, you know, trying to tackle, you know, skating? Have you done that in this realm as well? Yes. Since Clubhouse, I mean, I always say Clubhouse is like, almost feels like a godsend. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Cause I literally have attacked it just like I would if I was going to practice. I mean, hmm. I'm on there. I send emails, follow-ups, you know, different podcasts, different things is, you know, just for that reason is to be able to promote myself. And at the end of the day, it's practice for me, you know, so I use that to be able to use for my speaking and to, you know, to be able then at the end of the day, you know, say I've done this, this, and this, um, you know, here's what I have to offer. Right. Right. Do you think there's value in, you know, cause obviously I think we have organic relationships that, that come to, you know, come into play. We start meeting people and I'm sure, you know, because of your career, you probably have access to some really cool people that, you know, you couldn't have imagined you'd have access to. Do you think there's value in paying for mentorships, masterminds, you know, paying for those relationships or to fast track some of those? Yes and no. I really believe that yes, um, because we all have to make money, you know, so I really, you know, believe that you know it's something that is so, you know, needs to be paid. But I also believe on the other side of like a sponsorship, you know, mm. saying, you know, for me, for instance, like I'm living in my brother's basement and I don't have a lot of funds, you know, so I know what I have to offer and I know, you know, what I have to the table, but using again, my athletics and, you know, sponsorship, how big that was to, to be able to support, you know, different wheels and different, you mm-hmm. know, equipment, 
you know, it's the same thing I think for this is because it's, I don't know who to be able to connect to, you know, and, and for me, I work so much better just one-on-one because of just the type of learning that I am. And I was like that just as a skater, you know, the more one-on-one I had with a coach, the more I could just understand, you know, a little bit what he was saying. So masterminds for me, I think is very good as a group. And if you have the funds, absolutely. I think it's great. Um, But for me personally, um, you know, sponsorship on that end would just be better because of, you know, what I'm trying to get to, you know, from what I've been learned from my past. Right, right. When you go about trying to find mentors and things, because that's, this is another thing that comes up often, you know, in these conversations, you know, people talk about mentorships and, you know, so-and-so, you know, was a, was a game changer for me. You know, you talk about your inline coach and all the all the amazing knowledge that you received there and and the push that you got there Uh, for somebody who's listening, regardless of the industry they're in, you know, what are some of the principles you'd recommend to someone who's seeking out a mentor? You know, how do they get started doing that? And how do they make themselves a worthy student of a coach or mentor to, you know, be worthy of someone investing the time in and trying to help them along their journey? I really, you know, it goes back to, you know, who you are and who you connect with, because if you don't connect with them right off the bat, they're not going to be a good mentor for Mm. you. And it's just like a coach, Um, you know, every athlete and coach aren't going to get along, but you would rather get along and be able to click with that mentor because, you know, once you do, then you have that lifetime of, you know, friendship, you know, just like my inline coach who I always say, will walk me down the aisle someday. And, you know, it was something that, you know, was great because that mentor, you know, he taught me so much about just, as I said, life in general, not just life on the track, you know, so Mm -hmm. anybody and everybody who's listening, you know, find out who you kind of want to be like and who you look up to. I think that is so important. You know, like I talk about, you know, Barbara Majenski, who I met on Clubhouse. I'm like, oh, I totally look up to her because she's on Good Morning America. My dream one day is to be Mm. Good Morning America, you know, so I follow her because I want to be like her, you know, and I chase her. And I think that for me comes back to as an athlete world, you know, we chase the guys because we want to be better, faster and stronger. Mm. And, you know, that's the same in entrepreneurship, you know, so everybody who's listening is that, you know, chase, you know, who you want to be like and connect with that person. Like I've done a FaceTime with Barbara, you know, I have, we've texted, you know, because I know that's who I want to be like. And, you know, so for people who want and have a good mentor, pick out, you know, who that is in your field and who that person drives you. Because if you pick Joe Blue and you have nothing in common, they're not really going to do a lot for you. And at the end of the day, you're going to be like, why did I waste all this money? We have no connection. They're not in my field, you know? So really just dive deep into, you know, where you're going to in your career and who you really inspires you and who you look up to, because that is such a game changer. And it's a huge motivator for you. Right. Well, I mean, if you can look for someone who is where you want to be, you know, you know, you may have, obviously any two people in a room long enough are going to disagree at some point, you know, and, and, um, but, you know, if you generally say, this is where I want to be at this point, you know, that you're, you're somewhere on the right track, you know, there, and, and I think that's where a lot of people that get strung up again, whether we're talking athletics or they're talking business life is they go to someone who's just, you know, successful, 
but it's not successful by their definition. You know, it's just successful. It's, oh, they have a lot of money or, oh, they've got a nice house or they got a nice car. But, you know, who are the people that, you know, reflect your values? Who are the people that reflect, you know, what's important to you and the goals you want to have? And if you can find those people and pursue them, you're going to see similar results. You know, it's the, you're the, the average of the five people you spend the most time with, you know, you're going to, you're going to see value there. Absolutely. And that saying I think is so true too, is, you know, who you surround yourself with is who you become. And, you know, when you surround yourself with the people that you want to become, you know, like for me, the Barbara's, you know, the Glenn Lendy's, you know, all of them, you know, you, once you surround yourself with that type of group, you know, that's who you become. And I think that is so important because like you just said, you know, those five people that you hang out with is, who you become. Yeah. It's one of those, it's one of those really funny things that, that I've noticed now I'm I'm a dad, I have a four-year-old and, um, and myself and, and Travis, you know, we were always working on the show and, and, you know, working on the, on Guestio and all these different things. And, you know, whenever we meet somebody, because now we're having meetings with fairly large investors and people that have had great success and interviewing these people and, you know, more often than not, like for example, the the Matt Barnes conversation, you know, we we sat down and talked with him and talked about the MBA and all that sort of thing. And one of the first things we talked about when we got in the car was like, man, it's so cool how involved he is with his kids, you know? And like we were both because we're both, you know, young dads. And for us, you know, one of the biggest things we look for when we look at successful people is like, how are they with their family life? You know, how are they with their kids? Are they invested? Because, you know, for me, I don't want to make a couple million dollars and not have that relationship, you know, that's a piece of, you know, that's not traditional success, but for me, it wouldn't be success not to have that element. I think everybody has to find those things that are like, what are those anchor points for success that you're, you're kind of looking for those metrics. You want to make sure that, that people are hitting. I'm going to pivot us here into our, uh, into our random round. These are a couple quick questions with some uh, some quick answers and really give a chance for our audience to get to know you just a little bit better uh, as we kind of close out the episode. The first question I want to ask you is if you could sit down with a, anybody for an hour on a park bench and ask them anything, who would that be and why? I'm going to say Michael Jordan. I was just, I've already watched The Last Dance and I saw it again on Netflix last night. And I just resonated when I watched it the first time of how just humble of a guy he is. And, you know, he really came back from everything. You know, he Mm -hmm. wasn't, yeah, he was a great basketball player, but he had to keep proving not only to himself, but to everybody, you know, how good of a player that he was and how he pushed his teammates because he loved what he did. And I think that I would just love to have a conversation and how to, you know, resonate that with day-to-day life and how Mm -hmm. to, um, you know, really just, you know, find, you know, that passion that you love so much. I think that's something that is so, so important. What profession other than your own, do you think it would be fun to attempt? Gymnastics. (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we're still sticking in the Olympics here, but we gotta, we gotta, we gotta veer over here. Uh, how do you like to learn best? Is it books, uh, blogs, podcasts, videos? What's your favorite way to consume content or learn new things? For sure. Definitely books. Gotcha. Gotcha. Paperback, Kindle, 
audio paperback. Uh, okay. I'm not the best reader, I always say, but it's always good because I can go back and reread it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's my biggest thing is I'm always like, I like to dog ear stuff, highlight like books. Mm-hmm. I can never give away books or sell books because I mark them up like crazy just for that reason. <laughs> so yes. um, give me a glimpse of your morning routine. What does that look like for you? My morning routine is I get up, I have tea every morning. Uh, Today, I went for a walk, Um, usually go to the gym, hop on uh, Clubhouse every single morning, and then, you know, just get ready um, for the day. Awesome. Awesome. What is your go-to pump-up song? Miley Cyrus, Do Your Thing. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. What's something that you're not very good at? Singing. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> what is one place online where we'll find you the most? So any any social media platform you're most active, obviously Clubhouse would probably be a good place to catch you. Is there anywhere else you'd like people to connect with you? Absolutely. Uh, I'm really um, on Instagram. My handle is just Kelly Gunther. It's two R's at the end. Uh, I'm very uh, present on there and love to share, you know, just everything and anything about life. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for joining me on today's show and everybody listening. Be sure to head to the show notes right now, connect with Kelly and check out all the content there. And uh, I really do appreciate you joining me for today's show. Thank you so much again, Eric. I appreciate it. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapelcom slash group to join his free Facebook group podcast to profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.